1: <laughs> <music>
0: <laughs> Very
1: Welcome back. <laughs> this we <is laughs> continue to, to do. girls, one ghost. Oh yeah. Two And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne, and I am Sabrina. And we continue our October demonic slash possession episodes, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that we continue to feel terrified by it.
2: Yes, yes, uh, yes. Spend the whole year recovering from this. (laughs) I did move my candles, right? It truly is. I moved my candles into different spots okay. so that hopefully we can like generally see the flames as much as possible.
1: I didn't and you have, have time. you have
2: new candlesticks.
1: I didn't have time to reload my candelabra. So That's okay. I'm using my table bat candlestick,
2: candlesticks. Perfect. I love those. So cute. Oh love wait
1: gorge. <laughs> look how exciting. I am um, remember we talked about Laura's beating art. On here a couple of weeks ago.
2: Yeah. I purchased. Oh my gosh. Pretty. I am obsessed. Wait, I, now I have FOMO. I want some too.
1: I also have one on the wall over here that you can't see, but it looks like a ghost yeah. coming out of a picture frame.
2: I love that. This is so great. This is just making me even more excited. I mean, I know we have apartments, but even more excited at the prospect of one day having a dedicated spot just for, strictly for like a recording oh my gosh. backdrop wall. So that we can get all of the art like this. We're going to have our cool wallpaper
1: and then a gallery wall mm-hmm. on top of it. And our gallery w- right? wall year round will be spooky.
2: It's going to be maximalist spookiness. Yes. In our backgrounds. Yes. I can't wait. Sabrina, I told you we should do actually do this like a full encounters maybe or something or, or uh-huh. some sort of episode where we go through it. But I was telling you that I was looking up astrocartography the other yes. day because we've heard about it and we've looked it up before. But like I, I just have a, a newfound interest in actually being able to read the charts, and so I've started mm. to attempt to teach myself. Because don't you have a family member who used to read the charts? Yes, my great aunt Irene Roth. She was yeah. an astrologist.
0: Yeah, so and she would write down people's in your blood. birth
2: charts, and I think it is in my blood. I'm not going to go into, like, any of the details of of where my lines are and and whatnot. Well, actually, (laughs) one thing that's interesting is the other day, Brian and I went to Appleton Farms, which is in – I think it's in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And we'd been there before to walk around the trails. And that day when we were walking around, I just kept saying – I just feel so good. Like this is I'm so happy. This is the Aww. best day ever. Like I just feel really good energy. And I kept saying it over and over and over. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm having the best time. I feel so good. And I kept saying it. And then three days later, I'm looking up the astrocardiography line, and there's this one line that is basically describing where I should live if I want to like feel my best and feel my my most beautiful and feel most at peace. And I'm zooming in because it looks like it's going through New England. I'm like, ooh, a line in New England. I'm zooming in. Sabrina, it goes straight through the farm. It goes through the farm. I told Brian that. I go, oh my God. And he goes, you kept saying how good the energy felt there. Isn't that crazy? So you have to live on the farm? I guess so. Appleton Farms?
1: (laughs) Can I move in? so how do you find because I'm curious. So how do you find your lines?
2: So you have to put in your birth date and uh-huh. the time that you were born and where you were born. Okay. You can you can get like a general line sort of situation if you don't know the exact time you were born, but with that information you can use there's a bunch of maps okay. online what and, what website and websites do you use? that you can I forget what it's whatever first one comes up when you look up astro cartography map okay. I'm gonna, <laughs> or chart. I'm going to start this. Yeah, it was like this. astro something or other. And then so when you do that, part of what's making it a little bit easier to read the charts is mm-hmm. when you put in that information, most of the websites that you use. Actually, let me just Google this and tell you guys what I've used.
1: Okay. Now I'm like tempted to do this right now.
2: Yeah. Birth data and Okay. Astro... D- 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 I'm probably mispronouncing that, but basically this is where you can, yeah, that's the one that I used, which was really helpful because when you put in all of your information, there's a lot of different symbols that you don't necessarily know what they mean. So where the stars are aligned, where the planets are aligned, and then just different other symbols mean different things, like where you might be Mm -hmm. happiest or where you might find challenges. Um, And then basically how those lines interact or how they stack onto each other can mean different things as well. So it's okay. a little confusing, but the good thing about that website is you can, what was that noise? I didn't hear anything. Okay. The good thing about that website is that you can click on the different, we're going to ignore that. We're going to click on the different symbols and then it will tell you what the symbols each mean. So you don't have to memorize okay. that. But so what I, I just did was did I. This. Yes. Okay. This so is you can mine. see where your lines are. And then you, so what I clicked was on like the, there's a checkbox that says harmonious lines. And you should oh. be able to see where you vibe and where you don't vibe, and what those things mean, and the different challenges that are brought with Whoa. certain lines. There's yeah, so, so many you, lines. Based on that, I was also googling on the side, like what does these three, what do these three symbols mean together? Hmm. So it, it it's going to take a long time for me to actually learn it. There's so much to look at.
1: There are no lines going through Los Angeles for me.
2: Well, Sabrina, did you click on on uh, disharmonious? Is that it, is this a problematic no, place for you to live?
1: There's no disharmonious. The disharmonious is up in like let's see. It goes I hope it's through, not
2: Massachusetts because I'm trying to get you to move here.
1: <laughs> no, that goes through Northern California. Let's see. <laughs> let's see about Massachusetts. Oh, wait, there's nothing. What is this like? Oh, that was my birthplace. There's nothing that goes through Northeast. Actually, Damn. I'm going at Harmonious. Oh,
2: let's see. New like New Connecticut
1: is a harmonious line.
2: Okay. Oh, there's is one it in at New, an angle? New Bedford. Sabrina, here we go. This is where we're supposed to be. Oh. this I'm going to use the astrocartography charts to convince you to move closer to me. This I, is why I'm, I'm learning
1: it. The line goes like where all those little islands are and the ones that we've talked about, the ones that you guys- In Maine? I think so. Oh, Isle of Shoals? Yes. Yeah, so should I go live there?
2: Yes. Actually, okay. we need to do another follow-up episode on the Isle of Shoals because I went there over the, this past summer, did the sailing regatta again, and I met a woman- sitting on a rock on the island and i don't know how it was even brought up but her and i just started talking about like spirituality and ghosts and she has so many stories i literally was like give me your number
1: and i got also i'm just imagining she doesn't even have a boat she's just sitting on an island on a rock and she just spends her days out there and she maybe used to work there
2: oh so she oh. knew everything she was participating in the regatta at the time but she had like gone oh. to that rock because she felt that there was good energy and good vibes we'll do a whole episode on that Um, but the point of the astro cartography, me bringing it up was because I texted you (laughs) when you were sleeping and I was like, Oh my God, this is hilarious. So when you look up your chart, there's generally, depending on what website you use, there's like a little blurb about like who you are based on, on what this chart is. Yeah. And mine, in so many words, basically said that I'm essentially someone who could very easily leave society and run off into the woods, that I'm spiritual and I work in the entertainment industry most likely. And then there was a warning, basically, not to go too deep into my beliefs. So, like, not be a conspiracy theorist, uh, because essentially I'm dazzled by the cult-like energy that I'll be around. You
1: are. <laughs> you absolutely I, like, are. That,
2: that's the three-sentence wow. description of me. Do you, do you see yours? Do you have to go to the horoscope? Where do you find it? Oh, I thought it was just on the, the map. You'll have to
1: find where it is, and then I will read mine next time.
2: Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll we'll dig deeper into this website, and I'll yes. learn more. I'll come with more to bring to the table next time.
1: Okay, we'll you read are you. the table. That's I'm the table quote. with
2: the map. <laughs> you are and the then map. You have to. I'm you the map. Are the, the treasure. Of
1: the map. <laughs> X mark the spot, baby. Wait. Okay, I have something exciting. Well, I can't really. You can't really oh. see it. So I got a tattoo. When <laughs> with my sister. You can't really see it because it's covered right now. Oh, my now.
2: gosh. Wait, I can't but, see. Oh, what is yeah, it?
1: I, it's a little like tulip. So it's an ephemeral tattoo, which is a place in LA, and it only lasts 9 to 15 months.
2: Wow, I did not know that those things existed. Did, that, but did, did sis- that hurt? It looks like it's in a position where it would hurt. Can you see? Oh, my gosh. Isn't it cute? Oh, that's so cute. How did you guys decide to do this? Um, was the it impromptu, was- or how how'd you talked about it?
1: <laughs> We've always wanted to do a tattoo, and together and then we were just looking at stuff and because she flew into town randomly and so we just did it i also when i was there i was like oh my gosh i definitely want to get a little ghost and i like the idea of it just being nine to 15 months like you
2: don't have to commit
1: forever and maybe
2: afterwards i will be like oh i do want it forever so we should look and see if there's any places in boston that do that i mean i'm afraid of needles so i couldn't do it but i would you could do it (laughs) you could do a little ghost i would pass out I cry getting a flu shot at CVS. Yeah, like, There's no chance day. I'm going to be able to get that <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that. That's yeah. How cool of you, Sabrina. So cool. <laughs> you have bangs. You're getting tatted. Man. I, know, I, I miss my nose rig. Oh, I forgot that you had that. You should bring that back. Get a little ghosty on there. Little it star. It so cute. Just like right here. So, so cute. cute. Little hoop. Yeah. You know, we go through changes. I know. We evolve. And sometimes we, we circle up. back to who we were. Yeah,
1: we change, we grow, sometimes we get possessed, I don't know.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.
1: Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: Okay. All right. (laughs) Do you want to set intentions? mm -hmm. Yes. I was just going to say there's a nervousness about me now when we record these episodes. Let's Mm -hmm. set intentions. Yes. Our spaces are sacred to us. And they are claimed by only us. Mm -hmm. No one else and no negative energy is welcome Mm -hmm. in this space. We encourage only light and positivity and our spirit guides to be among us at this moment. Yes. And may I suggest a podcast recommendation
1: for people to listen to after this? Because I have, so it's funny, I deal with depression and anxiety and all that stuff. You do too, Corinne. But recently I was like, I feel like I spend so much time listening to darker things like murder podcasts and mm-hmm. paranormal podcasts. And my whole Spotify music is like sad hour, music to cry to, like things like that. Oh. And I was like, I need to spend time with more positive and uplifting things. And so I started listening to On Purpose with Jay Shetty. And oh, if you I don't know listen him, that. He's, I followed him on Instagram first. I think like Kristen Bell had reposted something. And so I followed him. And he has a podcast and he has a bunch of people come on and they talk about happiness and like changing the mind. And it's so fantastic. And I actually started taking saffron supplements because saffron apparently works similar to antidepressants. I'm also on antidepressants. Really? But like,
2: yes. Let me know how it goes. Let's like double the dosage. Right? Yeah. Do whatever you can to help yourself. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful, like the mind too. I've been trying to not let myself go into a cycle because I, I used to be like, let yourself feel the sadness, like let yourself wallow, like feel the emotions you need to feel. But I was finding that it was really hard to get myself out of that. So yes. I've been trying really hard to like only let myself be a really quick moment or like surface level reaction to something. Yes. And not to go deep because not let your I emotions get be out. your master. Yeah. Yes. 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 We're all working Okay, I will listen to that. It's great. Yes, we are. Yes. All right. Well, now on to a story involving <laughs> possessions and demons and exorcisms. Of course. Into the darkness we go. We're tripping through the woods. Now Descent. I'm just thinking of backyardigans, but like the evil version where we march our way into the woods and <laughs> come across some demons. Demons. That's not exactly what happened here uh, but this story is the story behind the world's first televised exorcism
0: wow and it
2: actually starts out a little bit similar to the story that you covered last week sabrina because it all begins with the sale of a haunted house edwin and marcia becker did not know that they were buying a haunted house But after what happened to them, they recommend doing research on the property that you're thinking of buying, if there's any house buyers and searchers out there, to avoid Mm -hmm. what they went through at all costs. Should it be unavoidable? Should you be surprised to find out that the house that you just purchased and put all your money and equity and sweat and tears into is haunted? (laughs) They said, just get out as quickly as you can. Oh. Even if that means you lose money. Even if that means you're sleeping on other people's couches. It's really tough position to be in. Right. And, so a, they've and lived the clarification it. is negatively haunted because we've seen
1: and read stories where they're like, yes. you know, a, an old man sitting on the porch smoking a cigar and that's, a you know, a lovely spirit who's just enjoying his afterlife. Right. There's a
2: difference between spooky and demonic, too. You know, you yeah. might just be startled by spirits. You might not anticipate them popping up in your bathroom mirror behind you. <laughs> but are they actually harming you? Probably not. But yes. unfortunately for ed and Marsha, that was not quite the case yikes so some names have been changed to protect the identity of friends and family affected ed becker he's written two books on his family's experience they're called true haunting and true haunting Two. and these books include so much more detail i mean if i were to tell you all of the details it would i would it would it's be an book. audiobook this would be yeah a 20 hour long podcast episode yes. so and you definitely go i did I read the first one, and as I was reading it, I just kept being like, oh my gosh, dude, people need to read this because there's so many details I I wanted to talk about that, yeah. that he talked about his family experiencing. But uh, there's only so much time, and right. <laughs> Ed tells a very fascinating s- tale, so check out those books. I got it on Kindle off of Amazon. It was like five bucks, so perfect. On July 25th, 1970, Ed Becker was turning 24 years old. It was his birthday, and on his birthday he happened to see a flyer advertising a two-flat apartment building on the north side of Chicago. Now at this time, Ed's wife Marcia is 7 months pregnant. And bu- this was before all of these renter laws and protections that that we now have as renters or that landlords have to abide by. Right. But apparently back then, uh, landlords could do whatever and make whatever rules they wanted. Hmm. So when Ed and Marsha got pregnant, they went to their landlord and basically told them, like, hey, we're expecting a child. And the landlord was like, Yeah, I don't want kids here. You're gonna have to vacate. You find a new place. So they're currently oh. pregnant and they've got like five months basically to figure out where they're gonna go. Told to just go. So yes. And it was That's so messed up. Stressful. Right. Now that's a lawsuit. Now you get now you get some good money from that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at the time it was just like that's just something that you have to deal with and and follow the rules. As if people you could do whatever they wanted with their property. in your life at right? that time. Yes, exactly. Which makes more sense as to the next series of events and the okay. urgency that Ed felt because he mm-hmm. he was desperate to find a place for he and Marcia right. and their eventual yeah. child. So Ed, he's looking at this flyer. He's studying it. Says there's two apartments. So this building basically has two apartments. He would buy the whole building. And he and Marcia could live in one and rent out the other one. He could get some equity. He was like, oh, I'm picturing myself living there for five or six years with my family. Then maybe we'll move to the suburbs, get a nice house, continue to mm-hmm. rent out that property. You know, like the whole thing, getting into real The whole thing, the whole thing. that's what, yeah, investments. Yeah, totally. The property was being sold as an heir estate. So he had assumed, you know, someone died. Other people inherited the property. And clearly, whoever inherited it, it, the group couldn't agree on what to do with it or one person taking mm. it over or whatever. So he was just like, oh, they must just be selling it. This should be easy, right? Like the heirs are just getting rid of it. It's for sale. So you would assume they want to sell it. Easy Did easy. the
1: f- people before pass away in the home? Oh,
2: many people passed away in the home. <gasps> oh, no. I will tell okay. you all about it. But okay. essentially, Yes. This family who'd grown up in this house, the mother Mm -hmm. had passed, and so then it was going to all of her children, and her children didn't want to keep the property. Okay. So it was now for sale, and Ed is seeing this flyer. So on this very day, it is his birthday, he decides to drive to this house. He turns the corner at the church, so there's a church right down the road, and the house is only a short distance away. He knocks on the door, and he's greeted by a real estate agent whose name is Art, who is super jovial, really energetic, just really kind. And they make their way past the first floor apartment and an older woman comes out of the first floor apartment and she's screaming obscenities. Like she is oh. so angry. The realtor is screaming back at her and the guy's like, don't worry about it, Ed. Like that, it's that's one of the family members. She's a little uh, out of worry her mind. about it. Okay. Yeah. He was like, if you buy the property, like she's you, just have her move out. Like right. just get rid of her tendency like she's only here because she's one of the children of this family but was okay you know an older lady at that point mm-hmm. so he's like okay and they go about the home and start touring it so they head upstairs and they look around and this place is pretty gross. Like it's vandalized. It's in horrible condition. There's stuff everywhere. It's a super big job. It's not moving ready at all, which only aids to it being, you know, more affordable for Ed. So, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh, I can DIY. I I have friends and brothers and people that can help me paint and move things. And, you know, yeah. like
1: you're seeing. There's optimism. You want to totally. have optimism. You're like, this is a shitty situation, but I'm making the best of it. Look, this house came into my, it's coming into my possession at a perfect time. Like, sure, maybe the family yep. that's leaving is not in the best place, but like, it's going to be my house and I'm going to have a family. It's a fixer-upper. be great.
2: Yeah. We're oh. all fixer-uppers here. Don't give up on the house and your dream and your family will be happy. Just yeah. a little elbow grease and you'll get there. So he's like, okay, you know, upstairs, like, I can can see that this space could work for us. We could be comfortable here. It's really big. It's nice. We could buy it, clean it up. So he peeks into all of the rooms and he notices that one bedroom is very cold, which is surprising to him because it's a pretty hot July day. And then generally the whole place was cold. So he was like, you know, we save on air conditioning. Oh, well, you must not get a ton of sunlight. And that's kind of nice if it's a hot July day. Like, the fact that it's cool in
1: the house is a bonus. Right. You only have to worry about summer. Heat.
2: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Only Chicago winters are to worry about. Yeah. So then he's heading into the basement and there's this large potbelly stove with a U.S. Army sign like stamped into the side of it. And Ed heads over to it examining it to see if it's smoldering because the smell is so intense. It like literally smells like it's being used <sighs> right now. And he walks over, and then he notices the Art, who had been, you know, excited and, like, showing him around, like, this is this room and blah, 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 and the family used this for that, Mm -hmm. is now standing at the entryway, not actually making his way into the basement at all. And he's just kind of, like, watching Ed, and Art's like, yeah, you can go explore, like, whatever. But Ed's noticing that he's kind of getting a little shifty, a little bit nervous, and clearly wants to leave that room. So he was like, you know, maybe the guy's just nervous around basements. I'm scared of basements. No matter what. Same, yeah. Exactly. So they keep going on the tour. They check out the yard, the garage, the screened-in porch. And Ed is like, yep, let's do it. How do I buy this place? And that very day, he takes out a loan and he puts in the offer, which would be reviewed by the heirs and in person with Ed. So he heads home. He tells Marsha. And in his book, he's like, you got to understand before you get mad at me for not telling my wife that I was buying this house. He was like, it was a different time. <laughs> the banks worked differently. My yeah. relationship was – I didn't – we knew what we needed to do. She didn't need to come right. see it. So Marsha is actually super excited. She's like, hell yeah, we get yeah. a new house. And so then yeah. he brings Marsha over to this place to explore the property herself so they can kind of like map out what they're going to do with it, where they're going to put things. Mm-hmm. And again, Ed notes that in the basement there's this awful smell. It's the smell of the stove going. So he goes down there and the stove is empty. Like it it looks like it hasn't been used for years and yet the smell is so pungent. It's so odd. And Marsha's down oh. there with him and she starts feeling really uncomfortable and the washer and dryer's down there and she's like, you got to move that thing. I am never stepping foot <laughs> in the basement again. This is the last day I'm ever so, in the basement. So, okay, question about this oven
1: or this stove. Is it like a kitchen stove or like what? what is it? I'm I'm confused and why is it in the basement?
2: I think it's just – I think it's for heat. Oh, so it's, it's like a just, furnace. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's my understanding of it. Okay. And so people would use it for heat, but it just was so pungent smelling. It was as if it was being currently used, which – is which
1: is not true because it was, it was the summer. Right.
2: And based on the condition of the house, too, and what was in that room, you would kind of assume that people hadn't been in that basement for a very long time. There was no obvious use. So it wasn't like a playroom or a guest bedroom or something like that. Right. So huh. it was just like, you know, a little thing that was like, huh, that's weird. Okay. So – then uh, on November 12th, it is now closing day. So they put in mom's the mom's birthday. Her, oh, look at this. Sh- I mean, <laughs> the stars were aligned. <laughs> <laughs> what year is this again? Uh, 1970. My okay, was, was five. Was happy fifth birthday, mom. Sh- happy fifth birthday. <laughs> Not a great day for Marsha and Ed, but, but they thought it was. Because mm-hmm. it was closing day uh, and the old yeah. hateful lady that was in the first floor apartment, Myra, she basically in the contract was given 90 days to vacate and Ed and Marsha would just fix up the apartment. They would rent that out. And other than that, the contract was relatively straightforward. So all they had to do was go to this meeting with the heirs alongside their realtor, Art, and the uh, real estate company's attorney. So this is where Ed realizes that the family isn't just selling the property because they don't want it. They basically have to get rid of it because they are – they have so much anger and resentment amongst themselves. Like, they are arguing about everything. This family is Yikes. broken apart. They are not Aww. friends. They are barely siblings. Like, they, That's sad. they had really – it's totally sad. And Ed notes it. He was surprised to hear them arguing about, about just things that he would have felt were and a lot of people feel are so insignificant – like 50 cents. They were literally arguing over who has to pay 50 cents for something. Like I'm not paying 50 cents for that because I didn't agree that that would be a thing. And Which I know this to fit, anyone else, like, so like,
1: whatever. But my question is, did this family, because it was like their parents' house, presumably, and that's why they inherited it and they're yes. selling it. This is did where they, they grew also- up. Oh, okay, it's where they grew up. Okay. So clearly they have left a lot of negative energy in that house.
2: Yes. Yeah. They escaped the house essentially. So mm-hmm. they don't want it. But they also, you know, what we've learned about living in – I mean, we haven't lived in houses that have had to be exercised. But in in learning about (laughs) houses – I hope we never do. Yeah. In learning about houses that are under – I mean, Amityville Horror, like, that's a perfect example of a case like this where – Tensions rise, people are ripped apart, relationships are destroyed and crumble, and people lose themselves in the darkness. And it's really hard once you leave a house to rebuild that. And so I'm assuming that that is what this family was going through. Tore them apart. Ugh. Yes. Anyway, contract gets signed. Ed and Marsha get the house. (laughs) They're the first people to live in the house that's not this family. So they're excited to fix it up. Ed changes the locks, and then he goes and knocks on Myra's door to give her the new key to the front door because she's 90 days there remember until she has to move yeah so she angrily opens the door she starts hysterically laughing and she's yelling at him that he will never own this building that we don't want you here and so at this point i'm thinking this is just this cranky old lady who refers to herself and her poodle as we like whatever she's got 90 days (laughs) then she'll get out so Ed then calls his younger brother, Butch, who was still in high school, to come over on the weekends and help him. So Butch is, you know, like a six-foot-tall guy. He's a kid. He's strong. He's Butch. And he's got energy. He can he can help paint, right? Yeah. And so Butch comes over to help paint the upstairs rooms. He's set up in the bedroom, and Ed is set up next to him in the living room. And Ed begins to notice some strange behavior from his brother, Butch is clearly uncomfortable. He keeps looking at the closet behind him. So he's painting in the bedroom. And then, like, through the doorway, Ed can see him because Ed's painting in the living room. And he keeps seeing his brother go like this. Oh, no. Just, like, keeps looking behind him like someone is about to appear. Like,
1: paranoid and, like, feels like eyes are on him. Yeah. Totally. I know that feeling. Yeah. So,
2: right? And he's also – he was saying that Butch was painting really, really fast, like lightning <laughs> speed. So he's like, clearly this my brother does not want to be in this room. So he goes over and he goes, yeah. what's wrong? And Butch tells him that he feels like he's being watched. He feels like there's eyes on him. And so then Ed walks over to the closet where Butch kept kind of like glancing over to. And on the floor is an old Ouija board. (gasps) It's laying on the floor. It's propped up a little bit on the wall. And he said that it looked like it had been very much used. Like it wasn't just this brand new Toys R Us one that had just been abandoned with a dusting of dust and the (laughs) coating
1: of dust on it. The one thing that's left in that closet.
2: Mm, mm -hmm. Like, that feels very intentional. Right. And Butch hadn't seen it. Like, it was in the closet. He just felt like there was something weird over there and kept looking. The energy was off. Someone did not close out of that session. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they didn't. So (laughs) they're just standing there staring down at this Ouija board. So Ed just grabs it and, like, tosses it out onto the back porch to dispose of later. And then as he's doing that, he notices that out of the window, the shed in the backyard has a padlock on it, which is exciting because – if you're a new homeowner, what after the closing date, whatever's left in the house is yours. So he's like, ooh, mm. they probably left stuff in that shed and that ooh. that's now mine. Like I have some free shit, you know, and more so, storage. Totally. Yes. So he goes out to investigate and is <laughs> pretty repulsed by what he finds inside. There are magazines on magazines and then thousands of images cut out of these magazines and neatly packed into shoe boxes. The images are all of pornographic nature, but there's like, thousands of them it's not just a normal like oh let me make a little collage of these nude women that i'm attracted to like there are thousands these is hours and hours and hours and they're not like artfully placed anywhere like they're just kept in a shoebox. like just the you know like a cut the entire of
1: the, the entire someone's thing skirt
2: is- it's all porn <laughs> so, Ew. given the number
1: Ew, it's the so amount of un- it's porn it's so disturbing <laughs> I'm just imagining yeah, someone it, like locking themselves in there and just spending time in there. And I just don't.
2: Ooh. Right. And I mean, it's one thing if it's just like a shit ton of magazines, but like there was care cutting it out. And it was literally like upshot images of like girls skirts and stuff like that. Like it was, it was a little voyeuristic at times as well. It's a strange collector's item. It is a strange collector's item. I don't think I'd be surprised if I found one shoebox or like a small amount of that in anyone's home, but a full shed worth perfectly cut out and neatly stacked. It's It's a a little alarming. It's a bit
1: disturbing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. So he assumes he's like someone in this family had a problem, you know, maybe sex addiction, something, something was going on. Yeah. And so then he goes into the basement and – i'll say this i'm not sure exactly if this was all in the same day or spread out but this is in the time basically when he's he's trying to like refurbish and redo this apartment okay. so or this building so he then goes into the basement and ed finds a jar with a few bullets inside which is hidden up on a ceiling beam bullets yeah just like a jar collecting bullets it's so random okay doesn't really know what it is yeah and he just left it there like was like okay whatever right and as he's leaving the basement, he realizes that the door to the basement had a lock on it, a tight padlock from the outside, which would mean if anyone ever stayed in this room, that they would be locked in from the outside. He doesn't know if anyone did, but he was like, that's kind of like an odd thing, you know, Yeah, to only have to like padlock your basement shut. Right. It is so super strange.
0: It's just like all like, okay. of these
2: things, It it's like if one thing existed,
1: it'd be fine, but there's just this yeah. long list of strange things anomalies he's finding in this house
2: right yeah and it's just like okay odd family did things differently than me whatever gonna redo the house i might just find some more odd things moving about this is like a
1: more disturbing haunting of hill house
2: home yeah right because at first haunting of hill house was quite beautiful right yeah they all enjoyed it they ran around and they had a good time yeah but here initially like upon moving in they're like wow stuff is really wrong (laughs) so yeah December 1st comes, and Marcia and Ed are ready to move in. Butch isn't available to help them. he's has school. So they ask Ed's best friend, George, who is blind after a Vietnam War injury, to come help. You know, George, a very capable, strong yeah. guy, with some help with them for figuring out, like, where to put stuff. Like, he's great muscle to help them yeah. move the heavy furniture. So basically, yeah. Ed and George are moving all the furniture in. And all of the items and boxes in, and Marsha's like unpacking and putting stuff around. That's kind of like what the the train that they have going to unpack. So as they're moving the furniture around, every so often throughout the day, George will perk up and ask, "Who's there?" And Ed would assure him <gasps> oh, that no so one else was there. Unsettling. Oh no. So he, yeah, he was picking up on on some extra noises or something else happening. He was sensing another presence, and Ed was like, "Nope, it's just me, you, and Marsha still." So. Marsha and Ed they settle in and there's a few things on their future list to update, like installing a shower because there was only a bath. And the bath is the first thing to have something odd and maybe paranormal start to happen. Every morning, Ed would walk into the bathroom and he would start the water to the tub to bathe before going to work. He would go finish up a few other things, you know, I presume, have a cigarette, a coffee, whatever, in and the then he'd tub. go back That's into what the bathroom. I'm In the tub. Oh, how nice. But no, he would – as the water was filling up the tub, this is what he'd do. He'd go back in and every single time the rubber stopper would be removed and wrapped around. Like the chain would be wrapped around the faucet. So he was like, okay, really weird draft in here. Not sure what's going on for this to happen. So eventually they – and this happened like many, many, many times even though he was trying to be really careful about plugging this thing up. So eventually Mm they figure out how to kind of like – tripwire, I don't know. Create some some sort of trick to ensure the faucet stays put. So then they're like, "Great, tub is done. We figured that out." Just an old house. Odd things happening. <laughs> yeah, an odd thing basically defying
1: gravity, where a thing that shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to. It's one thing for it to like become dislodged and like a you know a, a, right next to the drain, but for if the two-
2: suction, yeah, if it's not properly suctioned, but it yeah. re- it moves two feet in the air and wraps itself, yeah. Around the, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Marsha keeps finding the phone off the hook, too. She would be in the kitchen most of the day, not knowing that the phone had fallen off the hook in the other room. And this is landline times for anyone mm-hmm. who's thinking cell phone. Uh, so it's rotary phone. So it's hooked into the wall, and then it would pop off and, and be attached by a cord and just be laying down. And then there would be a busy signal. So if anyone tried to call, if Ed tried to call, if George tried to call, if anybody tried to call the house, there would be a busy signal. And so... At first, Ed was thinking Marsha was on the phone all day. (laughs) It's like, my (laughs) God, what are you doing? Like, I can literally never get through to you. And it's so scary because it's
1: like even more isolating for whoever's home alone. It's like no one can get through to you,
2: no one can reach you. You're here with us. Yes. So Marsha would have to, I mean, it's frustrating, but she would eventually have to kind of like get in the habit of, of walking by every so often and putting the phone back on the hook because it would always be knocked over. So they're like, okay, maybe it's just broken, you know, like maybe the little plastic parts or whatever aren't holding this thing and it just keeps falling. They still had a lot to learn about the house. It's an old house. They still had a lot to fix. Yeah. So at this point, even though to you and I, there's really strange things going on, they were like, everything's logical enough, you know, it's logical enough. Things are going to change. Things are going to be fixed. We're fine. But then Marsha notices that things are being moved. Dishes would be out of place. Her broom would be propped up in another area. The hand mixer that had been hanging on a hook on the wall would somehow fall and be placed in the middle of the floor of the kitchen. And this happened often. This wasn't just like once or twice that this thing happened. It would be almost routine where every morning they'd wake up and and the hand mixer would be in the middle of the kitchen floor. But Marsha would keep this to herself. She didn't really want to spook Ed and also... He really didn't believe in ghosts. And ghosts weren't like a really big thing to talk about at right. that time either. There so no she didn't she was on like, ghosts back then? No, no, there wasn't. <laughs> Lucky for everybody here now there is. But yeah, so she just kind of like kept it all to herself and was just taking note of everything that was happening. And at this point, they had their child, this baby, Christine. And Marsha's getting a little bit freaked out about being in the house alone with Christine all day and all this stuff happening. So she brings up to Ed, like, what, what's the possibility of us maybe finding care for Christine right. and I return to work? And Ed's like, "What? that wasn't our plan. Like, wh- why? What's going on? But she doesn't want to tell him, but she's also afraid to be in the house. So she's, like, basically trying to make plans to get her and her baby out of the house all day. Yeah. December 20th now. So we're we're one, almost two months into them right. living in this place. It's time for baby Christine's christening and they walk her down the street to the church and they completed the ceremony. And then the priest joins them and walks back to the house with them. And they have, you know, like some other friends, like George and his wife were there, yeah, it's a you know, pe- people celebration. There for, yeah. It's a little celebration. Yeah. So the priest was coming back to bless the house, to bless Christine's room and have some lunch. That was the plan. So the priest moves from room to room reciting a Latin blessing and he's using that, the, the metal, um, You know, like those brass dispensers that they have where they swing it it back and forth and it, like, yes, it shakes and it releases, like, you know, a few droplets of holy water or whatever out of it. It does feel, like, very medieval.
1: Yeah.
2: Totally. Yeah. I love them. They're so cool. Yeah. So he's using that room to room and and using this brass dispenser and and moving it all over the place to to bless the house. The brass dispenser suddenly explodes. Like, it doesn't come undone. It should – this metal – shatters into a million little pieces and those things and are heavy just, duty yes it's metal it's not like it's glass how does that happen yeah there's no heat being applied to it oh there's no gosh. energy or force that anyone can see like this is so weird also so I do everybody's think,
1: like, just sometimes they do have heat in them like if they like are burning certain things in there but
2: like yeah if there's incense or like frankincense yeah but used or whatever that's not I gonna, think gonna cause was it whole, to shatter water yeah and i'm pretty sure it was only water at this point oh my god and the thing so frightened, the priest insists he's got to go. He's like, "Gotta leave. The <laughs> lesson's over. <laughs> leave the and, high and like, dry? Yeah, Ed's like, "What? Yeah, Ed's like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> no, you have to stay. Like, finish blessing Help the house. Us. Stay for lunch or whatever.'" And the guy's like, "No, no, 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 no. I got to go." And he so Ed's like, "Please, please, at least bless Christine's room. Bless our baby's room." So the priest agrees to do Christine's room, and then he's going to leave. So he does it very quickly. And then he's like, you know what? Blessing is sufficient enough. I don't have to do the rest of the house. The house is blessed. I got to go. I can't stay for lunch. And he basically runs out of the house, accidentally oh, opening no. up the front closet door and rushing inside. Like, literally, he's so panicked. He's like, doesn't just open it and go, oopsie, wrong door. Like, he, like, full on, his body goes all the way in and, like, hits coats. And then he backs up and he's like, oh, oh and, like, finds his bearings, goes out the front door was running down the steps ed runs after him like grabs the check that george had been holding out for like you know here's our donation thank you father for for blessing the house and and doing everything runs gives that to the priest and the priest is like thanks and books it down the street back to the church
1: i've had chills like for a majority of you reading this
2: story and it is this is not even the beginning of it oh my gosh there's so much okay so the next day Marsha was in the kitchen watching the little black and white TV that she had in there. And they had moved the washer dryer up there, like in the adjacent room as well. So most of Marsha's day, the room next to her is where she would put Christine down for a nap. Then she'd be in the kitchen. And then the laundry room was right there. So she basically had this like little corner that was kind of her safe haven. Even though there was some paranormal activity going on, she would spend most of her time there. And generally, it was a little bit lighter. So she's in there watching the black and white TV. Christine is asleep in the next room. And a noise breaks the calm, breaks her enjoyment of the TV show. And she turns and she looks and she sees now the hand mixer vibrating. (sighs) It then comes off the hook of the wall. It floats a foot higher than the hook in the air. It's floating midair up. It stops for a moment. Defying gravity once more and then it zooms over to her and topples and lands on the floor by her feet. If she Ugh. is presumably and understandably scared. This so is at this horrifying. point terrifying. Yeah, Marsha's like super aware that there are ghosts. You know, like there's something supernatural going on in this house. Yeah. But Ed is still trying to say like I'm thinking really logically despite there literally being no logical explanation to these things, but it's a scary thing and it's something different and he hasn't experienced this before. So, ghostly activity, it's obviously happening. They haven't really discussed it with each other, but activity picks up even more. So, they've had problems now with the tub drain, the phone off the hook, the smelly stove in the basement, the floating appliance. And now even more is going on. The dish cabinet began to regularly open on its own. The kitchen lights would flicker. They would get goosebumps suddenly. And then some rooms were just f- very, very cold, just so oddly cold. And they would feel like they were being watched. So Marsha and Ed, they found themselves to become increasingly agitated with each other for no reason, too. Like, they, their and... temperaments changed. Yeah, tension building between them. They started to feel a little bit resentful uh, of one another. And they just didn't communicate well. And yeah. though they weren't the ones arguing, really, even though they felt this energy between them, there were some phantom voices, that of a man and woman, having the same argument, screaming at each other, same argument over and over each night. And it sounded like it was coming from right out the back steps. So they were like, oh, it must be the neighbors. The sound is just carrying." But like, my God, these people have the same argument every freaking night. Could they this hear is it clearly like they knew what they were saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why they were like, this is interesting, because it's almost like the same script over and over. The same Which well, makes
1: me think it was, I mean, granted, I don't know the rest of the story yet, but it makes me think that whatever negative experiences that family who lived there before had gone through, it was so intense that it left like a residual haunting.
2: Yes, absolutely. And also, I'll remind you, and we'll go into the spirits in a little bit, but there were multiple people- Whoa, yes. multiple people who died in this house. Oh, I feel so, so unsettled by this house. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so every night they hear this couple screaming at each other. But the second that Ed Marshall will go to the back door to investigate, the argument will cease. Silence. Ed learned that the family had a son named Ben, and he was the one who had the magazine cutouts in the shed. And he had died in the bathroom of the upstairs apartment. How did so they learn this? the bathroom... This? They learned these things through neighbors and friends okay. and, and various people that in the community. But a lot of it came from one of their neighbors. There was this o- older couple, a little bit older than them. I didn't really write any of the stories and experiences yeah. that they had themselves. But they basically ha- lived next door when this family lived there had a lot of insight and background into who these people were, but they themselves did not have a relationship with these people. They basically okay. were just like the neighbors on looking, but they did befriend Ed and Marsha and told them some of these things. Okay. So now Ed knows the names of one of the spirits, presumably, or, or someone who died in there. And so even is though I had the same still bathtub kind of like,
1: that the drain
2: was getting wrapped around, I think so. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there was only one bathroom in this. Okay. I think it was like a two, two bed. Okay. one bath apartment upstairs and then the same downstairs. So Ed now knows this guy's name. He he knows that there was the son, Ben, who died there. And so he kind of found some comfort and humor in calling out to Ben. So whenever there'd be – whenever he would spend time working in the basement or whenever something odd would happen, you know, like the phone going off the hook or, or some weird noises, he'd be like, ha, 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 like, Ben, is that you? And he would communicate with Ben and engage with this spirit – But he still wasn't sure his own thoughts on ghosts. So it was like kind of a playful approach to make himself feel better about what was happening, but not really understanding the repercussions of engaging with a spirit that you don't know the intentions behind. Yes. On Christmas Eve... Ed's aunt, Helen, comes over, and her behavior starts shifting. She is normally, like, a super smiley, super kind woman. And she wasn't not kind, but she became super serious while she was spending time there. And she went from mm-hmm. each doorway to each room, like, basically staring inside the empty rooms as Marcia and Ed excitedly pointed out. You know, here's all the changes. Here's the new paint color. Here's what we did with this. Like, they're excited to show their aunt all of the, the uh, things. Yeah. But the aunt responded pleasantly to everything. You know, she was like, oh, you know, that's great. Like, that looks beautiful tell me about the previous owner. She was very inquisitive about who came before because she was obviously sensing something. And she didn't say anything during her visit, but Ed said that she did warn Ed and Marsha about the darkness that she felt in the home later on and basically told her – or told them, sell the house, sell it soon. So she knew (gasps) there was something dark. Oh, chills again. My gosh. Yes. So this place, it's freaking clearly haunted. And Marsha is not into it. You know, she does not want to be there during the day alone with baby Christine. So the solve is Ed says, let's get a dog. They already had a cat named Kitty. And now (gasps) they have Holly. Holly is a shepherd husky mix. She was really, really gentle, super loyal, fiercely protective. Not long after joining the family, Holly began to bark, and Ed and Marcia would hear footsteps, slow and heavy, walking back and forth on the back porch, and Holly would protectively bark. And soon, she moved her own sleeping place to Ed and Marsha's bed, as close to them as she could possibly get. So she was like, something is outside, and something is in here, and I'm scared. So she became... More and more, increasingly reactive as time yeah. went on. She would lunge at the air towards the doorway at night. She would bite the air. She was trying to protect Ed and Marcia from something that they could not see. Right. Their cat, Kitty, also began to respond to something. Kitty used to love this green—I think it was green—the soft velvet chair in the living room. and She would spend all of her days, you know, lounging on that velvet chair. Uh But then something must have happened or something must have moved in there because Kitty began hissing and running out of that room. And they had Kitty since she was a kitten. And they said in the four years that they had her, her entire life, she had never behaved in that way at all. Right. And she refused to go in that room altogether. So it went from hissing and running out of that room to being like, living room's off limits. I'm not there." there. Yep. Which is and annoying because it's like whatever
1: entity just was doing this on purpose. Like I feel like the entity is just Yes. And I, I know there's multiple, but like whichever one this one is, it's mm-hmm. like I know this cat likes this area and I'm just going to take it.
2: Yeah. There's something else. I can't wait till I get to this point. I mean, it's awful, but but there's a point in here where I'm like, oh my God, Sabrina's gonna shit herself hearing this. I, but it has to do I, with the ki- the kitty. I already have a fear of it. Okay. The when you the first thing you said when you said there's a kitty, I was like, something that's Uh yeah. Okay, well, like Marsha, Kitty begins to only spend time in the kitchen. So she now wants the kitchen to be her safe haven. Despite the paranormal activity happening there, it's at least better. Not as aggressive. It's better. It's better. Yeah. So despite all of this activity and all of the tension between Ed and Marsha, they still hadn't discussed the obvious problem, which was their building was haunted (laughs) finally marcia brings it up ed does not want to admit that it's paranormal but he finally relents and he calls the church to ask again for a blessing but curtly, the priest refuses he hangs up on him and this is a routine that would continue ed pleading for help from the church down the street the priest terrified and insisting he couldn't do anything else to help
1: I'm just so sad that this priest is not willing to ha- help. And I know, I know. I mean, it seems like it's just above what he is able to. It seems like he's terrified. He but is. at least like then like reach out to the like diocese of the county or wherever right. like don't ghost like, people, ask people out. For help. will say like
2: try a different church, right? Yeah. Yeah, instead he's like, I want nothing to do with this. And I didn't write anything about this later on uh, because there's so much of the story that just involves Ed Marsha, despite there being numerous tenants who would eventually live in this building as well. But there were other tenants who did also call the church and reach out to the priest asking for a blessing. And he said, what's your address? And they told him. And then he goes, nope, hangs up. (laughs) Not helping you. Can't help you. Already been blessed. Not my problem. Not my problem, not Thanks going there. so much. Like, you're the best. Thank you so much. Yep, Yeah. Yeah, and Ed said that he did say a few spicy comments to him, like, Oh, so you'll take all my money and ask for donations, but I get absolutely nothing in return as a loyal parishioner. Like, that makes no sense. Not asking for much, just like finish blessing the house. You started it, just walk right. around through Holly Water again. And it's also not like, asking you to really- exercise the place. Well, and
1: also for someone like Ed, who doesn't believe in ghosts necessarily, to have to get to a place where he's like, I need help. We need help. Right. And to not receive it is really, really devastating.
2: I know. And he's a baby. Like, he's a family. Yeah. And I mean, his wife is now, Marsha's now taking care of Christine, too. Like, they have now uh, an apartment. apartment complex essentially like mm-hmm. this these two apartments in this one building that they have to pay for and be yeah. landlords for and they have a lot of financial responsibility and only his one income too so like he's yeah he's taking on additional jobs he's working himself to the bone and it's just yeah it's not it's it's hard to ask for for help and then to ask yeah. for it and be told no is it's really further tough. isolating which is exactly what dark entities want mm-hmm So now they're 90 days into owning the property, which means that cranky old Myra is going to move out of the first floor. When she leaves, she makes comments about being glad that she's leaving because she's so sick of Ed sneaking into her apartment and moving her stuff, placing her cigarettes in her coffee cup. How dare he think he can come in and move her furniture around and mess with her. Clearly, the first apartment is hers, not his. And like she's, you know, hearing arguing and basically thinks that they're breaking in all the time. So he's like, oh, my God, the first floor apartment's haunted, too. Oh, my god! While cleaning the first floor apartment, Ed sees his first apparition only a (gasps) glimpse and just for a moment but in this apartment ed would see this this apparition and then he would hear his own furniture upstairs moving around which was impossible because no one was there but he's like perhaps i'm stressed perhaps perhaps i'm overtired oh my gosh makes sense so now they have new tenants moving into the first floor apartment. Their names are Dave and Ellen. And they also had a newborn baby. They were in the same scenario as Marsha and Ed basically like got pregnant. Landlord said, you can't stay here. So they were also kind of desperate and, and had a quick turnaround for Which, trying to find an apartment. For Ed and Marsha, this is exciting. Like a, another young couple with a kid, like maybe they'll be friends. Well, actually, I'm sure Marsha thought the same thing, but Ed did tell her he was like, We have to maintain a professional <laughs> relationship with these people because you don't want to be best friends and then something happened, and then you have yeah. to evict your best your own best right. friends. Like that's so emotionally difficult. He was like, Just be, you know, you can be friendly with everyone, but don't don't spend every day buddy buddy <laughs> with with the new tenants. Like, let's let's uh draw draw the line here. Yeah. So the Dave and Ellen and their their newborn baby, they move in, and they, too, would be targets of the ghost. Their electricity would be turned off. Their gas would be turned off. And the gas was actually only accessible via this attic that was only accessible from outside that was only accessible via a ladder. So if you needed to go do anything to the gas, you would have to grab a ladder, go outside, prop it on the side of the house, go up to the attic, crawl through the crawl space, back to the gas levers, and turn a lever. So something was up there. Ugh. Ellen also saw a man standing in the doorway of their baby's room. They would oh, hear no. the same arguing and footsteps that Marcia and Ed had heard, but they thought it was Ed and Marcia, and now that there were new tenants downstairs, Ed and Marcia started to think that some of that activity that they had previously been hearing was actually Dave and Ellen. like both of them thought like, wow, those that couple's really having some problems. They're arguing all the time. So Dave and Ellen would eventually break their lease and move out, as did the next tenants, and as did the tenants after that. Oh, my gosh. No one understood just how strong this house was becoming. Ed began to see a woman outside on the front steps. She was this older lady. She was maybe in her 80s. So, like, he would he would come home or he would leave the house and there would be this little old lady sitting on the steps. And she was frail. She wore this heavy jacket and she would smile at Ed as he passed. And Ed would smile back. He'd say hello. Not really much more of an exchange. But he wondered where she lived. He was like maybe she had previously – or maybe she's, you know, visiting – uh The tenants at the time were Dave and Ellen, so like maybe she's staying with them, or maybe she lives right around the corner. And during her walk, she takes a little break on the front steps or whatever. So he, I mean, he wasn't gonna go out and kick kick this little old lady off of his front steps if she needed a rest, right? So he just kind of got used to seeing her when he was coming and going, and she would smile and you know look at him. And didn't seem like anything over time. Bad? No, no, not at all. And but he did ask Marsha, who was like oh, the old lady, did you see the old lady? Who is the old lady? Do you know any information about the old lady? And every single time he would enter and the old lady would have been there, he would say, "Marsha, the old lady's outside now. And they would run to the window or run to the front door and look out and she would never see him to, or see her. The old lady would be gone. And so they're like, dang, maybe she went back into the first floor apartment. Maybe she got picked up. She was waiting for a ride. So or maybe she was just Ed the speediest 80-year-old walker ever. Well, no, Ed wouldn't see her. Like, she would be gone. Like, she would be on but, the front steps taking a rest. But I mean, rest. like, Ed was the only
1: one who would ever see her when she was there. Oh. And then anytime he would try to bring someone else to see her, she would be gone.
2: hmm Yes. Okay. Yes. So over time, Ed would learn that this person, so solid and so clear, was actually the spirit of the mother who lived in that house. She okay. would sit on the steps every day or in the front window waiting for her son to pass by. A son who she had a falling out with who lived down the street and would pass by on his way to work twice a day, coming and going from work, and ignore his mother every day who looked out waiting and watching for him to walk by. She waited and hoped that one day. Yeah. He would turn and he would greet her again, but he never did. And eventually she died in this house of old age or perhaps of a broken heart. And- Mm. Eventually, down the line, Marcia does see the spirit of this little old lady. And she says to Ed, I think we just saw a ghost. <laughs> so she makes herself known inside at one point, too, with Marsha present. Wow. Okay, But now they're like, so we have two ghosts, apparently. We have this little old lady, and we have her son, who died in the bathroom upstairs, Ben. And then yeah. through talking to the neighbors, they learn that there are more deaths, tragic deaths, Another son, the younger one, Henry, died in the front bedroom, a rumored suicide. Ben, who died in the upstairs bathroom, he had lived there with his wife, and she died by suicide here as well, either in the basement or the garage. The reports varied. And then the father of the family was super abusive, and when he died, he left absolutely nothing to the family. So they just had – they just had – everything coming at them negatively throughout life and it, it was detrimental to their mental health to their physical well-being and it ripped the family apart and many of them died in that house when the did Cat that family Kitty, move in like when was that house built oh gosh i don't know okay i don't know but i'm i'm assuming 1910 or something okay so it's like 160, or
1: it was like yes yeah, 60 years of people living there about. That's
2: what I would assume because it sounds like the woman died sometime in her 80s since her spirit was in her 80s and that the okay. children, the heirs were a little bit older Okay, when she died. So if she raised her family there, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I mean, they had, for the most part, those that had been living there um, had either died or moved out. So it was okay. a family house for a long time. But yeah, I don't have the exact date for you. Yeah, The cat Kitty and the dog Holly are again – super reactive it's increasing now the slightest noise makes them jump and they hiss and bark constantly one day ed arrived home and the downstairs tenant dave before dave and his wife had moved out anxiously meets him and said that there was a ton of noise upstairs it sounds like furniture was being knocked down like there was a crazy fight or something and so ed's like thanks for letting me know he heads upstairs he examines the place nothing is out of place But Kitty and Holly are cowering together in the corner of the bedroom. Oh, no. Memorial Day weekend. Ed's younger sister April and her family come over. And Ed and Marcia share with them, like, hey, there's some paranormal stuff going on here. And Ed's younger sister April is super fascinated with spirits. Like, she's a ghost girl. She'd been studying the paranormal for years, and so she was really excited, and she was like, ooh, Ed, like, maybe one day you'll let me live in here. Like, this would be so cool to be able to investigate it live and experience this. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. Eventually, he does let April and her family move in, but not before Marsha basically moves out. So for an extended period of time, or for a short period of time, I should say, Marsha was like, I need space away from this place. So she takes their daughter, Christine, to a relative's house, leaving Ed alone in this oh, no. apartment while home alone ed experienced more activity his keys bent to a 90 degree angle and holly was viciously barking at nothing
1: oh, i'm so sad the pets are still there
2: oh my gosh i know i'm getting to the bad part too okay i might not listen <laughs> your ears. so holly's viciously barking at nothing Marsha eventually does return, and the activity is still worsening. So even though she took a break, had some reprieve from the house, it it did nothing in the end because she did return to the house and experienced more paranormal activity. Right. One day, they came home to find their dog, Holly, hiding in the kitchen and their cat, Kitty, missing. Panicked, they searched the apartment, calling out for her, calling out for Kitty. In the bedroom, they found the window open about 12 inches. They look out the window, and then they see Kitty below laying on the concrete, not moving. They scream. They're calling for Kitty. Marsha and Ed are running downstairs. Marsha's crying out. They pick up Kitty. She gives a little meow. Oh, no. And then they rush her to the vet. Miraculously, she has no injuries. No injuries at all, which was impossible. The vet was like, wait, you're saying that she fell out or jumped out of a second story window onto concrete? Like, there's not a scratch. There's not a bruise. There's nothing out of place. It was impossible. And so she was really, really scared. Kitty was basically just in this coma-like state, terrified because what had happened was she had to have been somehow picked up in the second-story apartment, moved through the window, and gently lowered two stories down through the air and placed onto the concrete. What? This would happen. Yes, yes. And Kitty was so scared that she couldn't move until Ed and Marcia came home to essentially save her from the concrete. Like she was terrified. And this would happen to Kitty once more while they lived in this building. So, twice Kitty was picked up, thrown out the window, essentially, and lowered down to the ground. Okay, uninjured. but Kitty doesn't die, right? Kitty doesn't die. No. Okay.
1: I was really nervous that that's what you were saying. And. No. I'm glad that that's not. No,
2: but still. She was essentially thrown. And they were like, what's the, what's the line between her being gently removed from the house and placed two stories below and just being thrown? Like, what's the day that they just let her go midair? Right. That's what they were scared of. They were like, this thing is trying to kill our pets and kill us.
1: Yeah. Why is it doing that? I don't know. I don't understand these spirits. I know.
2: I know. The ghosts are just like floating her poor little terrified body out the window down so sad the same night holly the dog begins to growl deeply she's biting at the air whipping her head back and forth lunging towards something then she whimpers and cowers back when ed turns on the lights the next morning he lets her into the backyard to pee and holly ran towards the back fence jumping it running away they never saw holly again so whatever happened that night scared holly so much that the next morning she saved herself she left she ran away oh my gosh this is not long after that they adopted another dog a poodle named princess who experienced the same terror the second night that she was there the next morning she too hopped the fence and ran for her life they never saw princess again two dogs now ran for their lives i hope poor kitty is like trapped inside yes so now Ed and Marsha are like, all right, we need help badly. Yeah. So they go to the Yellow Pages and they find a psychic group that agreed to visit the same day to investigate. So the group comes over. They have all their gear. There's two psychics amongst the group. But they actually left running for the hills not long after because they witnessed a door forcefully swing open. So now this okay. group's like, bye. That bums there me you know, goes All their help. Like-
1: it's like this group is signing up, like they're a psychic group, which you would think that means that they are ready to to not face necessarily, but to experience paranormal stuff. Like it's not like you and I are signed, like you know, we're like going house to house because that's different. Like you and I are scared; we admit we're not right. going to haunted houses. They're to advertising, yeah. Like true. hey, we can look at this and help you. This is their business. Understand it,
2: yeah. Yes.
1: False advertising.
2: False advertising. So then Ed and Marcia go back to the Yellow Pages, and they go to the next group, <laughs> Illinois Psychic Research. And this group okay. is great. They're different. They actually do help. They first wanted to interview Marcia and Ed, which they did. And then they would interview the or investigate the property to ensure that there was no trickery, no obvious answers involved. Because if, if they wanted – they were the real deal, and they wanted to make sure that the property was an actual – Haunted property that there wasn't anything or foul play like this was a true paranormal case. So they have the initial interview where this guy Tom from the group sits down and interviews Ed and Marcia, asks them a lot about themselves, their upbringing, their family, their personalities, their relationship, basically trying to like suss out them. Right? They they pass, I guess. (laughs) And so then Tom, the one who interviews them, agrees to bring the rest of the group for step two, which is to check out the property alongside tom there are two psychics a woman named barbara whose name had been changed for the story and a man named joseph de who w- would be instrumental in the eventual exorcism of this place barbara spent a few minutes in the home and then said out loud bullets and then told them that she felt there were bullets in the basement in a jar on the rafters oh. so ed is amazed Yeah. He didn't have much faith in psychics after that first group came through. So he's like... I wouldn't either. What? Yes. So he and Marsha are like, oh my God, this is great. This is great. The other psychic, Joe, Joseph, we will call him Joe, looks at Kitty, the cat, and senses something unusual about this cat's spirit. He believes that she's a type of familiar. So she's not an ordinary cat. She has some extra powers. Barbara and Joe... Kitty! Barbara and Joe continue to move about the space, continue to move about the two apartments in this building, Mm -hmm. and sense the different spirits there. There's more than one. They say there's a woman, there's two men, and a woman who died by suicide in the garage. So this is like exactly what they've learned about the property. Mm -hmm. The psychics say the younger man is dangerous. He wants to hurt them. Oh his name good. is Henry, which oh. is literally the name of the younger brother that had died Wait, okay, in the bathroom. Okay, so front there's room. Ben, and then which one died in the bathroom? Ben died in the bathroom. Ben's okay. wife died in either the garage or the basement. Okay. The mother died in there, presumably in her own bedroom, probably. And then mm. the younger brother, Henry, uh, died in the front room, which is thought to be from suicide. Okay. So the psychic group is like, yeah. This place needs to be exorcised. Psychic Joe, who was also an ordained minister, contacted Reverend Daryl Davis, who was an experienced reverend dealing with exorcisms and specifically demons. And so Joe was like, hey, reverend, can you accompany me for this exorcism? During the exorcism, they had hoped to use Joe's psychic powers to basically put him into this trance where he could communicate with the spirits in the house Ooh, to say, like, like channeling? who are you? Why are you here? Totally channeling, which was a really nervous. The Reverend was really nervous about this and, and had a lot of trepidation about ag- agreeing to this because mm-hmm. the chance of possession is high in that case. You know, like this is a really active house. Yeah. And who's to say that Joe's going to be able to guard himself enough while also lowering the veil enough to let spirits in without permanently becoming possessed.
1: I mean, this reminds me so much of one of the Conjuring movies. Is it The Nun? Or it, it's maybe The Conjuring 2, which inspired The Nun, where Lorraine Warren is mm. channeling and, like, very much becomes – like, almost gets stuck.
2: Yeah. hmm Yeah, no, it's a real risk. I mean, this is super scary. But yeah. Joe is like, hey, I am comfortable with this. I believe in my ability. Let's do it. Wow. The spirits in the house sensed what was to come. The activity picked up. It was at an all time high after this group came to visit. But the night before the exorcism, it went entirely quiet. The ghosts were hiding. Because they knew. (gasps) They knew. They knew. Through the grapevine, NBC had discovered that Joseph DeLuise, who was a very well-known psychic, he, like, literally helped solve criminal cases, communicating with the spirits of deceased people and, like, helping... I want to do an episode on him. We we totally should. Yes. I'll send you his name so you remember. Okay. (laughs) But but he was well-known, you know, and through the grapevine, through various people that he was talking to in his circle, NBC got word of what was going on and basically reached out to this group and to Ed and Marsha and said, hey, would we want to inquire about televising this exorcism this has never been done on TV before. NBC would take it very seriously. This isn't going to be some entertainment showy thing where we try to, like, make fun of anybody. Like, this is going to be a serious documentary-type special. Right, And so – Ed and Marsha agree to that because they're like, Okay, well we don't want to be embarrassed on on TV, but if this is what you're you're saying, it's gonna be serious. Like, sure, let's arrange it. And also like the potential
1: of helping other people in the future of like, hey, this is what's been going on. I actually really respect yeah. that Ed and Marsha made that decision and were willing to do that.
2: Yeah, I agree. So It's arranged. NBC is going to come, and they're going to televise the Reverend and Psychic Joe, who's also an ordained minister, doing this exorcism on the house. Carol Simpson, she comes first and interviews Ed and Marsha so that they can can put clips of interviewing Ed and Marsha with the actual clips from the exorcism to create this special. There's a group that's brought in to film the Reverend and Joe exorcise the house, And energy, just in general, as they're setting up, is super tense. People are getting scared. The Reverend and Joe are bringing out candles. They have this giant cross, a really large Bible. Like, the energy is weird. And and so the people that are the NBC film crew, they didn't necessarily, like, entirely sign up to potentially be around a demon. (laughs) Yeah. They're starting to get nervous. It's a huge risk. And so, totally. The options given to them, to some of them. To leave if they want. So after setting up, there is a group of them that are like, we're not staying for this. Like, this is too spooky. And they leave. Unfortunately for the sound tech, he was by far the most nervous. Like, he was a nervous wreck. He did not want to be there at all. He was so scared to stay. But he had to stay. He was the only sound tech guy. Poor guy. So he insisted on having a Bible to sit on and to have a cross to wear around his neck during the exorcism. And Carol Simpson, the interviewer, also did the same. The exorcism began. They prayed to God for assistance, and eventually Joe entered his trance like state. His breathing became deep, his eyes closed. Oh no. Like a meditative state, except there was nothing peaceful about the look on his face. Like he looked like he was in pain. Oh no. A strong gust of air ripped through the room. Mind you, there's no windows or doors open, nowhere right. for this, this there's no... wind to come through. Ugh. And the space became dark and cold. The air became heavy. Everyone is scared. I just imagine it being so quiet. Like, you know, the way yes. we talk about how
1: when darkness, dark entities come, like animals, silence, mm-hmm. and, like the air mm-hmm. becomes stale and still. Like, I just imagine it being right. so eerily
2: quiet. When that happens, you're basically alerted that danger is around yes. you. And that feels like what's happening here. Yeah. So Joe is in this trance. I kick Joe's in this trance-like state. And then he spoke, telling them that they must leave, that they don't belong here. The Reverend is now scared. Like he he didn't want to have Joe go into this <laughs> trance-like state to begin with. He already right. was like, I'm not really into this. He holds up the mirror to to make Joe or make the spirit that he's channeling like look in the mirror and be like, hey, like essentially, look, this isn't you. You're You're a ghost. You're not alive anymore. You're just only speaking to us through this other person. Like, this isn't your face. This isn't you. You need to move on. You need to get out of here. Okay. Right. It is an interesting move. I hadn't heard of that before. Yeah. Another voice comes out of Joe. This time, it's an older woman's voice asking for the picture. They need the picture. They need the number, the combination number on the picture. They don't know what this woman's talking about. But now Reverend is scared. You know, the voice Mm -hmm. has changed. That's enough for him. So he starts yelling at Joe, come back, come back. Joseph, come back. He does not want his friend to be possessed. Birds begin flocking to the house, hundreds of them, chirping and screeching outside of the windows. Eventually, (gasps) the exorcism closes out. There's hundreds of birds outside. Everybody inside is sweating, shaking, scared. And the Reverend and Joe close out the ceremony, close out the exorcism, and it is... Announced that the house is now clean and pure, no spirits reside. But the How? faces on How? both the Reverend and Joe. Well, exactly. I think it was I think it was very clear that it wasn't going to be exercised in this moment to Reverend and to Joe. Oh, like it was too for much the for sake them of, to do. But for the sake of TV, I basically had to like complete the ceremony and move on, or the exorcism. I keep calling it a ceremony. It is a, a ceremony. I mean of sorts, it's a ritual. But, yeah. Yeah, totally. So They basically are like, okay, it's clear, it's it's done. There are no spirits and dark entities in here that reside any longer. But clearly on their faces, it's known that something is still wrong. Like, this was not successful. Filming wraps, NBC is going to air the normal episode on this exorcism and then also create an extended version of it, similar to like a 60-minute style episode. And Marsha and Ed... At the time, had also set up their own tape recorder to record anything that happened to try to like see if they catch basically an EVP or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that night, they're in bed and they're going over the tape recordings, and they hear the knocking, they hear tapping, they hear birds, and then the birds is they so hear, unsettling. Right? I know it is really creepy to have all the birds flock. All of them flock like that, which and is scream, weird because I feel like. Too.
1: Usually, when there's dark things, like we were just saying, animals and birds go away, so for them to flock there right is so strange
2: it is it goes against what you what we know to be true for, yeah. for these types of experiences. so it's like why are they drawn there? What's coming out? Ugh. so they're listening back to this tape, okay. and then they hear on the recording something that they hadn't heard at all while they were all sitting there. It's a child's voice calling, Mama. So that night and Marsha are like, Holy crap, this was so crazy. What an experience. They eventually get themselves to sleep. The recorders, you know, right next to them because they just listened to it all. Only a few hours pass and they wake up to a woman uncontrollably sobbing. They don't see her, but they hear her. So clear. The amount of times I've
1: gotten like full body, like intense. I know chills because it, it's it's not even like you know where it goes from your head to your toes it is just like woo, everywhere everything
2: yeah. yes i know me too i keep feeling the same exact <laughs> thing and this is something that ed Marsha felt all the time too they would say that like, yeah, randomly they would stop. just get like full body goosebumps full body chills they're living throughout it. the house yeah they are so they wake up to this woman who is uncontrollably sobbing. So Ed grabs the tape recorder and he sneaks out of bed intending to capture this too. So now they'll have the tapping, the rapping, the knocking, the birds, the child's voice, and then this, like more proof of the haunted house. Right. As soon as he clicks record, it stops. So clearly, whatever was there did not want to be captured. Though in the future when the special did air, when reviewing the footage that aired on NBC, they realized that When the cameras were panning and showing the different empty rooms, there's a moment, a few frames, where this small white object is moving in this empty room. So, potentially a ghost caught on camera. An orb of some sort. Yeah. But no attention was called to it because, like, no one noticed it. You know, like they noticed it when watching the special back, but Hmm. to everyone else, it was just an empty room. Paranormal activity continued. The psychic Joseph DeLouise called, actually, like a month later to check in on them. Clearly, probably was like, hey, I understand that this wasn't successful. Like, hey, how's the house? Any activity? And then after the special aired, they also had an influx of phone calls from reporters looking for an interview. Ed's ghost-loving sister, April, remember she visited Memorial Day weekend and was like, your house Mm -hmm. is haunted? Like, please let me move in. She, uh, after the special and all of this, the televised exorcism, she's like, Ed, you have to let me move in. Like, please, come on. This is my dream. Like, this is so fascinating. (laughs) So, Ed does. No. He does let her move in. She oh, moves geez. in with her husband and kids. She excitedly studied the activity within the house. The piano would play on its own. The chandelier would swing. And she was starting to get a sense of the spirit's personalities. And she was really excited to share these experiences with others. It's one thing to, like,
1: want to experience it, but to move your family in there, too.
2: Yeah, young kids. Young kids. Mm. your husband. I mean... What about like a week long sleepover? Right. Why, why not just do yeah. that? Without your experience. kids, like just you. Yeah. Totally. No, but they fully moved. Regularly, she would invite her friends and a large group of people over and they would use a Ouija board. Mm. Ed and Marcia didn't know this for a long time. So it was kept from them that this was happening. Oh, no. And that is when she met Henry. Ed had never told her about Henry. Right. It had not been shared online, I, I don't believe, or on, on the television, the actual had, names yeah, of the ask, spirits.
1: Had the show, had the pose- or exorcism aired already?
2: I'd only watched like a 15-minute clip of it. And in what I saw, there was no mention of the okay. people's names, the spirits' names. Right. So that's not to say that that didn't happen, but I didn't but, see I it. But I mean,
1: these spirits are so, I mean, uh, yeah,
2: I'm, I believe yeah. Henry came through. Right, and Ed was like, I never told her Henry's name. I don't know how she learned Henry's name. Yeah. So through the board, Henry communicated that he would never leave this house. He had no intention of leaving this house. April enjoyed it. She kind of enjoyed the spectacle of it all. She was impressing friends with the communication, with the piano playing, and Mm -hmm. she welcomed it. But it began to affect her more. She began fighting with her husband. She began being disgusted with her kids, she demanded that her husband beat her kids when they were bad. Her husband said that she would get so angry and would argue with him and demand these things and awful treatment of their their children that at times he was kind of saying, like, I don't know if it was quite sarcastic or a joke or kind of like a hyperbole, mm-hmm. but he was, he was basically saying, like, I thought she I thought she'd kill them, you know? Like, she was getting to the point where... She had no interest and just absolute hatred for her kids and basically for her husband. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So when Ed found out that the Ouija board had been used, that there was one, and that his sister was using it downstairs, he goes down, confronts her, demands that she brings him the Ouija board, and then he smashes it in half. So let us pray that that thing was closed out, not that it really matters with how much activity is happening. It's going to happen no matter what. Right. Jeez. He tells... (laughs) He then tells April, he's like, hey, I think you're possessed. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm not possessed. And her anger was so outright. But as she's arguing with Ed about what she was doing and how she's totally fine, April sees something. Someone. Oh, no. A face appeared behind Ed. He was shorter than Ed. His face twisted and pained. His oh, hair no. brown. It was Henry. The exact <gasps> description that the neighbors had given Ed of Henry when Henry lived there. April didn't play the Ouija board again, didn't grab another Ouija board, didn't try to really communicate with the spirits, but it was too late for her. She opened the door and things escalated and it got out of control. Henry had marked her and she was scared. Each night she would have terrible nightmares of dark hooded figures. And when she was awake, she would feel like she was being watched. The sensation of someone brushing up against her was constant. Henry was there. Henry was always there. He didn't leave her side. She began hearing voices, voices telling her to kill herself. She was really scared that she was going to die. Her oldest son, who was still really young, like a young child, would talk to someone, someone that she couldn't see, and he called him Henry. And then whenever April would try to reprimand him, to punish him for any wrongdoings that he did, you know, try to parent him a little bit. He would threaten her that he was going to tell Henry on her and that Henry would do something about it. (gasps) Oh, my God. I hate this so much. April, what did you do? April's now not eating. She's barely sleeping. She looks like a walking skeleton. She begins mumbling to herself. She's in total decline. She starts speaking to other people around her. like uh, She did suffer later in life with mental illnesses and with substance abuse, Ed Uh had said. And it's not entirely clear if this is the moment that all of that started or if it was a trigger or if it led to that. But basically, she lived in this house fearful, totally paranoid, so, so scared. Oh,
1: my gosh. Ed is
2: like, I need to save my sister. I need to save Marsha. I need to save myself. Like, we already lost two dogs. Everyone needs to get out. Yeah. Everyone needs to get the hell out. He finds himself another building, a desperate seller who is gonna give like a great deal sell it for way less than it it should be on for he tours the building quickly it's warm it's inviting it's peaceful he's like great 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 everything (laughs) that this other one wasn't done i'm buying it immediately i hope he asked
1: if it's haunted this time (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know
2: what he did we'll have to we'll have to reach out to him and ask so he immediately buys the place he tells Marsha. Marsha's ecstatic she's like hell yeah we're getting out of here we're gonna be saved Yes. To this nice, new, warm building. So they're super excited and starting to think to himself what to do with this other place, the haunted place. And he's like, "Hmm, I don't know. Should I sell it? Should I burn it to the ground? And the ghosts (laughs) must have sensed this because after having that thought of like, maybe I should just burn it to the ground, the gas was shut off. It kept being shut off. So basically the spirits were like, you're not burning this to the ground. (laughs) But then also. Also, Ed had some nervousness, like, okay, well, they have so much control over the gas. What if they try to, you know, carbon monoxide us, you know, yeah. poison us? I mean, turn or, or Turn or the anything. house up into flames when we're upstairs sleeping. Like, I mean, they were
1: manipulating objects, too, like throwing things mm-hmm. and moving things. They could very easily pick up a
2: knife. Yep. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, the the psychics that, that came in first, Joseph and, and the other woman, had said, like, that – there's a spirit here that wants to hurt you, that yeah, wants to do harm. I hate that. And clearly, these spirits, I don't know if it was specifically Henry or if it was the whole collection of them, but they did not want their house to be burnt. So they were they were active in doing whatever they could to, to yeah. continue to have their home. Just about two years after moving into this house, on October 1st, 1972, Ed and Marsha move out. Finally. They continued to lease the old building. Finally. <laughs> they continued to lease the old building, but their tenants... <laughs> were scared they didn't want to stay they were fighting amongst themselves amongst each other and so ed realized he needed to sell everyone's breaking their yes. lease everyone's calling him all the time there's nothing that they can do and the priest isn't helping these tenants when they call and say hey can you come bless the space i'm scared i also just can't imagine
1: like after everything that they experienced ever wanting to let anyone else live in there like i just i would be like no <laughs> No one's living here. Desperate times. I know. Desperate times. Especially if they bought a new place, like they need the money.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A month into living in the new place, Ed got a call from his brother-in-law. April had sat up in the middle of the night, got up, and in the morning when he is walking about their space looking for his wife, she's gone. April had taken her purse and had vanished. She disappeared. So something had scared her so much in the middle of the night. She did end up calling the next day and told them where she was, but she was like, I'm not going back there. I'm done. You're going to have to figure out a way to come to me. I cannot step foot back in that house. So Ed decided to list both properties now. He's like, the new, nice, warm place that we're in and that old building, I just need to get rid of both. We're going to just... Even the new one? Cut to the chase. Yeah. He's just like, we're going to the suburbs. Like, we're going to... We need a fresh start. We need to, like, cut our ties with everything. We're We're moving. We're not going to live here in this area anymore. Okay. So the new one... They sign on with the with this real estate agent, Ron, who's like – the way that Ed describes him is basically saying, like, he's the most charismatic, bubbly, like, perfect sales guy, like, can sell you anything. Everybody <laughs> loves him. He's just a good, good energy. So Ron is like, here, let's strike a deal. I'll sell both of the properties for you. Basically, within a day, sells that nice property, the new oh. one that they're in, the nice warm one that they're in. So bronze like, hell yeah. I'm going to have no trouble selling this other one. It'll be gone within a week. My question is also, did that televised exorcism
1: say the address? I imagine you know it what? probably I didn't know. because that would be probably like too not. much press for them.
2: But I'm yeah. curious. Yeah. And you want to avoid everybody going to that street yeah. probably and collecting right. outside of it. Yeah. Yes. But obviously – it didn't sell right away. The skilled <laughs> realtor, Ron, is super frustrated. I, I don't remember the exact timeline, but I think it was a couple months or something that it was up, and they sh- he'd shown it like 100 plus times and was mm-hmm. like, why is no one wanting this? And so Ed feels bad now, and he's like, Ron, I got to tell you something that I didn't share with you before, and that is that this place is pretty damn haunted, and I'm guessing that the buyers are coming in and feeling bad vibes and don't want to live here. And Ron is like, what would you say? Haunted? And it's like, yeah. And Ron's like, no way. Me and my wife, we're paranormal enthusiasts. We love ghost hunting. We would freaking love to buy this place. Can I buy it from you?
1: But, Which is like good for Ed because, the, you know, it's off his hands. But it's, you're passing it on to someone else who is now going to have to endure what they did. Yes. Well, Ed
2: is like, I mean, we didn't have a good experience here. Are you sure you want this place? And Ron is like, yes, 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 I do. I don't, you know, I have all the funds to like basically buy, basically, like, it, however much it appreciated and whatever equity. And had yeah. gained. It was basically like, that's impossible. If you really want this place off your hands, what they did was they transferred the lease over to Ron. So he basically made zero money off of this, but he no longer had the property. He was Okay. He so was he clean. didn't
1: have to pay off a mortgage or anything anymore.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. It was just transferred over to Ron and his wife. Wow. Unfortunately for poor Ron and his wife, they also fell victim to the house as well. The darkness took yeah. them over, drove them apart, ruined any bit of happiness, What Ed had heard of Ron was that he became severely ill. He and his wife divorced. He had to move away, and the building was basically left abandoned. Oh, my god! But Marcia and Ed were safe, and their ability to sense a presence in a room or in a house had become sharpened. So then they spent the rest of their lives – well, they're still alive, but they they now recognize when they enter space and can feel if there's energies there, if there are spirits there. They became so attuned to – that feeling and and sharpened mm-hmm. that ability while living in that house. So their advice to all potential home buyers again is to do your research, notice how you're feeling, if there's a room too cold, if there's a shiver that creeps down your spine, if your mood shifts suddenly, run and run <laughs> far away. Bring a psychic to go to any open house that you go to. Right? I feel like all psychics should also get their real estate salesperson <laughs> licenses. And just do that for everybody, I'm sure there is, everyone's sake.
1: I'm sure there are some real estate psychics.
2: Yeah, there's got to be. So to end this story of the first televised exorcism ever aired, Edwin and Marsha Becker's story is being adapted right now into a movie. Say, this has to be a movie. It's set to come out next year, 2023. Okay. And guess who was just cast recently? Vera uh, Vera Farmiga. No, but but oh. close. Another blonde person. I can't remember his name. James something Vecna. Vecna oh. from Stranger Things. He's oh. gonna be in it? Okay, perfect. There's a lot of like classic horror movie actors yeah, in yeah. this set to set in this cast. Signed wow. On. So that's the story of well, Edwin and Marsha Becker and their very haunted house in Chicago. Okay. My biggest question is what the heck has happened
1: to that house now? Because it was it was never successfully exercised. Like those spirits still exist there. Do people live in that house?
2: I don't know. And you know what? Maybe the answer to that is in the second book that Ed had written. Okay. But in the first we'll one, he'd it. said, we'll have to read it. He had said basically that he'd gone by the house, you know, some years later and it had it had appeared to be quite abandoned and let go. But that was- For the I mean, best. He, he left it in 1972. So, right. so that could have been, been like in the 80s that he went and saw it. It's been a long time. You know what? It's probably demolished and brand new spanking apartment complexes that like 23-year-olds are moving into (laughs) having no idea what's going on around them.
1: Well, I'm curious. Remember that story... Okay. Well, there were a bunch of different versions of it. The girls who were like doing that game and that ghost that goes by. Oh, the. It was in Chicago. There, there, there was one version of the story where it was in Chicago where we ended up talking to them. Are they there in Boston or Massachusetts? No,
2: no. So, yeah, there was a rumor. It was in Somerville, Massachusetts. There was a rumor that it was all over the place, but they, we reached out to them or they reached out. Somehow yeah, we think. got connected and they're in Chicago. So that, so that video of the girls playing ring toss and then you see this like, woman in white with long dark yeah. hair kind of like floating past the door frame that happened in Chicago.
1: So we have to call up
2: Ed. We I would, do. This, I mean, it would be very fascinating.
1: I wonder if Ed talks about it. I know he has these books and I feel like, you know, it's his way of telling the story properly and his experience, his own, you know, owning his story, which I totally, I love, but I'm curious if he talks about it or in, does interviews about it.
2: Yeah. I'm curious about that too. I know that he did it, you know there were parts of his life where he where he did stand his ground and say like, hey, I'm not changing the narrative of the story. I'm not embellishing anything for the yeah. sake of entertainment. Think, yeah. There were, I mean, some you people don't need to. There's no embellishment needed. This is like the most horrifying, no. terrifying thing no. to happen. And so <laughs> I would assume that this movie, I would assume that because he's been so protective of the story and wanting it told exactly as it is with no extra like yeah fluff frills, and bells and whistles or whatever. Yeah, no extra fluff. I'm assuming that the movie adaptation is going to be pretty spot on as to what happened.
1: Okay.
2: Why would you do anything else? Also, for yeah, everybody watching on YouTube, Nick just walked by. That was not a uh, ghost in Sabrina's background. Did you see the
1: shadow? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. The picture frame right behind you catches him when he goes back oh, and forth. that's so funny. Yeah. He is I the ghost see. of the podcast. He always see, says this is he the wants- thing. worse. so haunted here. That we, I think, despite how often we, like, debunk stuff like, oh, that's not an EVP. Oh, that's not that. Like, we always say when we know yeah. it's not something. And yet there's still so much that happens <laughs> on our video and our audio where we're like, what the hell was that? I know.
1: Oh, my headphones are doing that weird thing again.
2: It's also, Ooh. you know how
1: a couple of weeks ago I was I read an email from a listener who said that you and I are the ghosts haunting our podcast from, like, the mm-hmm. future Nick has been wanting to be a part of the podcast for forever, and he wants to be on it more. Maybe it's Nick haunting the podcast.
2: He is. Sven. Oh my god, that would make so much sense because it's kind Are of you like haunting the, the, podcast? the cheerful. Maybe. No, he's definitely not
1: because he doesn't know how ghosts act. Yeah, that's demons. Do you want to? But make it maybe that's.
2: Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's why there's some some like weird-ass things. Like maybe Nick is like, what if I just take a flame and move it up? He's like, I've never seen that (laughs) Maybe. Nick needs to dress as a ghost for Halloween. Thanks. Thank you, Nick.
1: She said thank you. You can't hear her, but we can hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to end this episode, after a haunting from Nick, I have a haunting story from our listener, Sarah. Lovely. Okay. This is called The Demon Who Tried to Take Me With Them. Hi, Uh my name is Sarah. I've been listening to your podcast for a week now. Oh, this was back in August. And I'm on episode seven. I can't believe I found a great podcast that actually talks about ghosts and demons and whatnot. I love listening to it when I'm at work and it definitely makes my day go faster. Ever since I was a little girl, I have felt different spirits in my house and other people's houses. I've always been interested in the paranormal and in Christianity. I'm a Christian now, and since I'm a Christian, the possibility of demons' existence is all too real. And I believe there's always a good side and a bad side. So for me to believe in Jesus and God, I also have to believe that there are demons and Satan. But when I was little, however, I never gave this much thought until one night that all changed for me.
0: I was about 10 years
1: old, and it was summertime. I was getting in bed ready to sleep after a long day of playing outside. I love that. Just like the idea of like as a kid getting to bed and being like, oh gosh, I'm exhausted from a long day I of I mean, playing. yeah.
2: <laughs> this sounds so nice, right? You I get know, like the nice summer that. warm breeze. Yeah. Go to sleep, do it all again tomorrow.
1: My mother also slept in my room in another bed because my father snores. So our beds are side by side about seven feet apart from each other. As I lay down and close my eyes – I look over to see my mother is in bed as well because when I was little, I could not sleep knowing that my mom wasn't there. I fell asleep. It's about 10 o'clock. And then I woke up at around 3.30 having to go pee. As I sit up in bed, I see a dark figure standing right next to me. I was terrified. And at the age of 10 years old, immediately got the feeling of depression and anxiety and sadness. Oh my gosh. Oh no. overtook me. I was frozen in fear as I was sitting there, the dark figure turned into a little girl.
2: <gasps> Ew! Ew! Okay, proof! Proof right here that ghost children are demons. But it's almost like the spirit like, was a moment too late. Like it should have
1: been the little girl when she woke up, you know? Right, yeah. It, it timed it wrong. Yes. She spoke in the deepest voice possible. It's a sound I never want to hear again. She said... And I'm sorry, Sarah, because I'm about to do a deep voice. Come with me, Sarah. (laughs) I replied back, knowing what she was now. I had no doubt she was a demon. She had pale dead skin, red eyes, long black stringy hair, pointy teeth, and smelled of death. I said, I know what you are. I serve God and God only. So get out of my room now. I'm not sure why I had a burst of bravery, but I noticed it was also a mix of anger. Why would a demon come to a 10-year-old? It was sick. I felt so powerful and protected. I felt a bright light around me like I was clean and pure. She then replied back in an awful laughter. Ha 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 ha. You really think he loves you and will protect you, you sheep? What? And I said, yes, now leave and never come back. And she came closer. Wow
2: good job sarah the bravest young child to ever encounter this demon yes
1: and this demon like comes closer to sarah and all of a sudden at the foot of my mom's bed i see a very tall man dressed in all white the white was pure like i've never seen before almost the color of pearl he had a sash around his chest but i couldn't make out what it said he had a sword and a shield in his hand as well and i knew he was an angel He telepathically communicated to me saying, close your eyes. So I did. I covered them. I heard the demon scream in pain. And when I opened my eyes, the man was sitting down in a chair at the foot of my mother's bed. He said, I just got chills. I will protect you and care for you. You will be safe with me always. I fell back down in my bed and automatically went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and told my mom everything. And she believed me. I've seen this man recently two times, but I'm at work right now, so I don't have the time to tell you. If you'd like to hear what? more, please email me. Thank you. And may God bless you. What a cliffhanger. From We Sarah. need to know
2: who this guardian is, Sarah, this man who protected you. An Your angel. soul from being
1: stolen. I also love to think that when Sarah covered her eyes, like she wasn't seeing, that this angel ripped out the sword and just like slashed the demon's neck off.
2: Yes. Oh, my gosh. The, oh, this is Ugh. so crazy. I mean, Sarah herself, incredibly brave, like, did all the oh, right steps incredibly. to basically banish this demon. But it sounds like this thing was so strong and yes. has marked Sarah. And so I'm glad that there was this other worldly reinforcement from this man, whoever he be, or it yeah. be. I don't know. Yeah. But, it's wow. Beautiful.
1: I mean, it's terrifying. And Beautifully it's also, terrifying. it's one of those things
2: where... <laughs> I also
1: love the fact that Sarah woke up to pee, but then because of this experience, was able to go back to sleep without peeing. Like, never mind. That's absorbed back yeah. into my body.
0: Um, yep.
2: <laughs> but also the fact that this Your body, fight or flight. You're like, do not leave your bed.
1: Yeah, stay here. The fact that Sarah's mom was sleeping right next to her and didn't experience a single thing. Yeah, how did she not? Did she wake up? No. She didn't wake up? I mean, this, this is proof that like realities are, spirits can shift realities. What yeah, this is. I mean, I see. always
2: go back to, I think it's encounters four or five, when we were reading that one story of the guy who was levitating outside of his bed, screaming and banging as he was held against the ceiling, and his partner who was down, his boyfriend in, in the bed, heard yeah. absolutely nothing. So they can manipulate space. Yeah. They can change people's reality.
1: It's disturbing. It is. But Sarah's safe. Ed is safe. Sarah's safe.
2: safe. We are safe because we, we safe. set our intentions at the beginning yes. of this episode. Yes, and, and um, we appreciate all you, of you being here. Are
1: safe, hopefully. Yes. We hope you are not experiencing anything negative while listening to this month of terrifying stories. And we hope that if you do experience anything terrifying or terrible, please email it to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail dot com. We also like happy stories, and November we will get back to more happy stories. <laughs>
2: Yes, please give us some palate cleansers, some, yes. some animals, some guardians, some yes. helpful ghosts for November. You can also make us super happy by rating and viewing us on iTunes. Please. And you can tell everybody about us. We call it the pyramid scheme. You get lost in the TJOG yeah. triangle, but that's real. You need to yes. tell everyone, please. <laughs> And, and subscribe Tell to them. our YouTube channel, you guys. Hello. See us.
1: Even if you don't want to watch it, just go subscribe. I don't know. Make us feel good that we have more subscribers. Yeah. We're almost at 6,000. 6, ooh, ooh. Ooh.
2: Ooh. We're also almost at 666 Patreon members. So go check out our Patreon and oh let gosh. us get to that spooky number. And then whoever is 667, we'll give you a prize. <laughs> <laughs> We should for, get the press getting, no getting us off that number. <laughs> oh, we for, should put a cap six,
1: six, six, six. on like all of our social medias and everything. That like the max amount of people who can follow us. I mean, we're very far away from this, but it's six hundred sixty six thousand. That yeah. That's our cap.
2: Six. six I don't want to say the number too many times. So I was thinking six times. We'll wow, see. Be a lot. We'll see what we. What, yeah, that would be. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? And it would be also great if we saw all these people wearing our merch. This merch. is not ours, just Ladies and Tangents. But we <laughs> but love merch them. is great. <laughs> support your po- your favorite podcasters and yes. your podcasts. Wear their merch. Join their patreons. where yes. and review them. Uh, we're just so happy to have you here too for a Spooky Season. This is our favorite month, and so we're grateful for yes. all of you. Whatever way that you're able to support, whether that be through all those other mediums or just by listening each week.
1: Yeah, we appreciate you. We love you all. And thank you to our editors at Upfire Digital, Eric Foster, Aiden Manning, Max Lodian, the entire team. Thank you for being here with us. And we will
2: see you you on On the the other other side. side.